It's Mental Health Chat Monday, the new and improved version, honey. On this series, we sit down with a brand new guest every week to discuss their journey with mental illness and mental wellness. Because here on Mental Health Chat Monday, our motto is turning mental illness into mental wellness. I am your host, Dee Bionic. Thank you so very much for tuning in to this last episode of season one. We made it, y'all! We made it! I would like to thank... <laughs> but praise aside that's not why we're here today you know where to find me on all the social media it's at Dida Bionic it's called branding look it up but we are here to discuss this absolutely gorgeous human a part of my heart family the one and only Laura Owens is here today how are you my love I'm wonderful I'm oh so grateful God. to be here with you I have missed you so much me too. <laughs> truly and honestly um, I feel like the world needs more lights like you. Damn. And I'm just being honest. Mm, I love I just, you. I love you too. And I'm glad you're here. Thank you. I'm really glad to be here. Oh, wonderful, 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 wonderful. Okay, so introduce yourself. Let the people know who you are. Tell us a little bit about yourself. So I'm Laura and we met what now we've discovered five, five years, years ago. ago. Yep. Uh, when I was working at a restaurant that you, you still work at, at the Blue Duck, going through a pretty difficult time in my life, mm-hmm. got doing a job that I didn't really want to be doing and mm-hmm. probably shouldn't have been anyway. <laughs> you were good at it. I wasn't that good at it. Let's be honest. I mean, you were better than some of the people we've had since. I mean, I did not know what any alcohol was. Fair. <laughs> That's fair. But... I had the the joy and pleasure of getting to cross paths with you, which in many ways was probably the only reason that I was there. Um, and I think that we were just meant to know each other. Yeah, me too. And um, I, I hate that it's been so long since we've seen each other, but you're like you said, we're part family. You're, uh, I, I may have told you this before about a friend of mine that I met and she said that we were star sisters because all energy in the universe is comes from stars that have Mm -hmm. exploded right and so we felt this natural connection so we must have come from the same star Uh and that's kind of how I feel you've not told me this before oh my god I mean don't you feel like I do we come from the same star yes so like we've known each other for what is it in the universe it's like millions millions of years yeah Yeah, since the very beginning yeah that oh my god (laughs) we've only been recording for four minutes i'm already gonna cry um (laughs) so mental health check i like to start these episodes the exact same way how are you how is 2023 treating you so far i honestly i'm i'm good 2023 has um been a really good year for me so far i've Mm -hmm set my mind to some positive intentions and really been able to recognize some of the accomplishments and and progress i've made in some areas of my life so i'm in a good place um but i haven't always been in a good place so i think i guess that's you know my thing is hope and Mm -hmm. and i think it's important to remember that you know things always get different yeah talk to me about how hope is driving you forward because i i know just from knowing you and seeing your social media and everything that you talk a lot about hope so talk to me about what hope means to you and and how that drives you forward so um you know obviously an integral part of who i am and my story is that i'm a mother Mm -hmm. um and i'm a bereaved mother um i had a son when i was 20 years old um and when he was five he was diagnosed with cancer uh we spent almost nine years traveling around the country and to get him the care that he needed. And um, during that time, that's kind of when my personal motto of hope always was born. He was diagnosed with a really rare disease that was a terminal cancer. Not a lot of hope was given. And Mm -hmm. so came to the understanding that in, in the unknown, there are a lot of things. There's a lot of fear and uncertainty in the unknown, but there's also hope. Mm -hmm. There's also possibility. 
And so when faced with so much unknown, we chose hope and there's always hope. And so for through that and um, through a very difficult and in some ways hopeless experience, um, that was where that mentality came from. And it helped me and my son fight through a lot of difficult times and live a beautiful, miraculous life in spite of it all. Mm-hmm. And when my son passed away, it, when my son started to decline, it was what helped me keep going because, you know, even hope changes. It's not always hope that this is going to get better or they'll be healed. Sometimes it's just hope that they can have peace Mm -hmm. and hope that you can keep going and there's hope that you'll have more better days. So hope sustained us through all of that and hope has sustained me through my after without my son. Um, And it's been seven years since he passed away and um you know i kind of lost touch with hope Mm -hmm. over the years i was angry at hope um and didn't think that hope had, had fulfilled its promise um but over time i've been able to have a lot of ongoing experiences and lessons that have helped me keep holding on to hope and so I can say today it's still you know a big part of who I am and and it's helped me keep going but it's it was born through my son I a piece of that really hit me I I don't think we think enough a, a lot about um what hope means and the fact that you said hope changes And for some reason, I've never heard anyone ever talk about how hope can be different for, not just for people, but for circumstance. Mm -hmm. And, oh man, I hope people, I hope y'all key in on that, (laughs) because hope doesn't, I mean. When my son got put on hospice, and we knew he wasn't going to get better, and there was no chance that he would survive his illness, it was very hard to still believe in hope, and people thought you know now we don't there's no hope or and there's a great quote um there's no such thing as false hope either hope or the absence Mm. so it's for me you know i think that it's it's about seeing the positives hope has a lot to do about where you look what you focus on Mm -hmm. and In every difficult situation, there's plenty of negative things to focus on. But if you choose hope, you choose to believe that something good might come of it. There might be something better around the corner that somehow this is going to work out. Um, So I, I think also it's really important when you talk about hope and think about hope is that hope is not something you're given. It's something you choose. Mm. Oh. these are things we don't think about as humans because we just you know we we get one blanket definition of a lot of aspects of life Mm -hmm. and you know we hope we get that job or we hope we you know and i think there's such a beauty in I, i think i feel such a beauty in the not even duality, just the multifaceted nature of hope. Oh, God. Mm-hmm. Let me not knock any of this over. <laughs> um, deviating a little bit from that, let's talk a little bit about, you know, going back, back. Let's talk about mental health and, and diagnoses. Have you been diagnosed with any mental health disorders at all? Yeah, so I probably started struggling with depression and anxiety in high school. Um, I think I was in sophomore in high school when I was first diagnosed with clinical depression and generalized anxiety and medicated. Um, Probably went through therapy for the first time in high school. And so it was kind of something that maybe for me, I feel like the diagnosis at an early age 
gave me an excuse to explain things that I just didn't really have tools to cope with. Mm-hmm. So rather than rather than believing it was something that I could grow the tools to cope with, I was like, oh, this is just something that doesn't work with me. Mm-hmm. You know, this is something I'm, I'm going to always struggle with. And so maybe I perpetuated that or, you know, self-fulfilling prophecy. And um, over the years, I would be on some medication, decide that life was going to be better without it, or I didn't need it, or I didn't want the side effects, or whatever the reason and then um i'd get to a dark place things would go wrong in my life i'd feel you know stuck in my head with the negative thought cycles and so then i think well it's because i'm not on medication Mm -hmm. i need to get back on the medication that'll help and it does to a certain extent um but it was much and in my early 20s um i was had some run-ins with the law and things that I ended up going to a 12-step recovery program. And I would say that was probably like the most significant therapy I ever got. Mm -hmm. Um, Growing up in a not super emotionally aware family and growing up with a mother who had her own mental health issues and challenges, um, going going into the 12-step program at 19, I was really, I thought something was wrong with me that I needed to figure out how to fix. Mm -hmm. And I learned a lot of perspectives and skill sets and self-evaluation and self-reflection that I didn't learn from any of my parent figures or Mm -hmm. therapists or anyone growing up. So I think that was a huge tool for me to develop some coping skills and some understanding of myself in my 20s. And then my son was diagnosed with cancer. I, you know, your whole life changes instantly. And so um, during that time, of course, I needed to be on medication because I have this huge thing going on is what, you know, I told myself and the doctors agreed. Um, And when he was kind of towards the end of our journey and when he was hospitalized a lot and we were in and out of the ICU and things were very traumatic, I was obviously not sleeping. Mm -hmm. Um, Doctor gave me a prescription for Clonopin um, to help me sleep, Uh to take the edge off, which Clonopin um, or Clonazepam is a benzodiazepine that um, is used on a short, should be used, it's approved for use on a short-term basis. Mm-hmm. So for me, I started taking it to help me sleep and I required it to sleep for the next six years. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was not something that I necessarily would have started taking had I known that I wouldn't have been able to sleep without it for years. Mm-hmm. Um, it It's something you have to kind of go down slowly and can have a lot of side effects as you taper off of it. Um, but I'm today I'm not on it at all. So that's a huge thing. And, um, but I think cannabis is, a has been a tool for me, um, for a, a lot of my life. And while, you know, knowing what I know about myself and addiction, it's not always the healthiest tool, but it's a lot healthier than a lot of the chemicals and drugs that I've been perfectly comfortable putting in my body mm-hmm. to try with the consent of a, doc, a physician, you yeah. know? So, um, I'm very, I think for not necessarily everyone like me, who's like a, you know, a chronic user, but people who struggle with mental health issues can benefit from cannabis in one of its forms, whether they smoke it, vape it, take it in food, take a, a tincture, use it on their skin. There are so many medicinal benefits to cannabis. So I really um, am trying to explore some more natural supplements and things like cannabis that I can take to make my body function at a better level mm-hmm. without all of the side effects. So I've heard a lot of people talk a lot about, as I like to call the devil's lettuce. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Um, I have never partaken. 
um, still to this day. Okay. Not like that. Not in any way like that. I just <laughs> I have plenty of opportunity and no desire. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, I struggle with insomnia really bad. I wrote a whole song about it. Go check it out. But um, I have been told so many times that it will help me sleep, and I it's I kind of have a similar. I was prescribed a medication when I first got my diagnosis of depression, generalized anxiety, actually, uh, when I was 22. And I was prescribed a medication, and I was fearful that that medication would change my personality and make me somebody else. Mm-hmm. And was also fearful that I would develop a dependency. And I think that's also something that I've feared with, like, sleeping pills or, like, melatonin or, you know, anything like that. And I think I have that same fear with cannabis. Mm-hmm. It runs in my family deep. Well, and I'm not, I'm certainly not going to say that cannabis is immune to dependency. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, so it's in my family, deep on mm-hmm. both sides. Yeah, same. Um, and it's something that I've dealt with in my life personally. I think, yeah, I think also though my, my perspective on addictions is that if you have addictive personality, you could get addicted to anything Mm -hmm. and you see it happen a lot of times and I especially saw it happen in like the world of the recovery and the 12-step programs you'd have these people that had abstained from their drug of choice alcohol or whatever for you know 10 20 years but it didn't stop them from hitting on the junkies that walk in the door that are 19 years old and they're 45 so their sexual dysfunction their food addictions Mm -hmm. their cigarettes their coffee like all of the other addictions were still in full force they just were controlling one of them Mm -hmm. so there is also the perspective of and not that the 12-step programs aren't immensely helpful to so many people but there is the step beyond that where it becomes about healing the things in you that require medicating Mm -hmm versus finding the medication, the proper medication and saying, oh, well, I medicate with alcohol and that's bad, but it's okay that I medicate with food. It's okay that I medicate with people or, you know, whatever you get off on. Mm -hmm. Um, Not that it's also, I mean, I would love to transfer my addiction to the gym, but (laughs) it hasn't happened yet. (laughs) Me either. Uh, but I think addiction works that way. So I uh-huh. think if you have, you know, addiction issues, you could get addicted to Polly Pocket. You know, yeah. that's it's about it's obsessive compulsive disorders. Yeah. Um, but if you, I, I don't think that. I think it's really common for people to say I have a lot of addiction in my family, so I don't do drugs or mm-hmm. I don't try cannabis, but they also still drink. Mm-hmm. It's like, so you're um, somehow feel safe in the realm of alcohol addiction, but not in the uh, another yeah. addiction because mm-hmm. all of the substances have the potential to have that same effect chemically and in mm-hmm. your brain. So I don't know. I think it's different for everybody what, what they're comfortable with. But I know my mother who's 75 years old. Um, she has a lot of issues with pain from multiple joint replacements, osteoarthritis just a lot of health issues and cbd along with cannabis both of those things have have helped her and and, you know so she'll you know i'll bring her a pen or bring her a gummy and she's like oh good (laughs) here we go (laughs) one time she took one and she was like that was really strong. And I was like, I wouldn't take it in the morning and then like go to Walmart. You're, you're not cool for that. Yeah. Like, you tripping. That's not you mom. Like yeah. you take it and then you get your butt in bed. <laughs> and I advocate for cannabis as a natural medication. Mm-hmm. I think there's, like you said, there's so many possibilities with sleep, with joints, with pain, with mental illness, with just everything. And science is proving that. Like, genuinely, science is proving that. Um, I don't know. Maybe one day. I keep saying... <laughs> well, call me if you ever decide. I got you. <laughs> I keep saying one day I'm going to have a little, little nibble or something. Just give it a little shot. I mean, a lot of people don't like the way it makes them feel. And that's... Mm-hmm. 
if you, you know you should never do something you don't like that makes you feel but there's also you know some gummies and things that you could take at bedtime that could help you sleep better as well that yeah. might not make you feel weird if you don't take it until you're already laying down ready to go to bed you know mm-hmm. so it's worth a try understandable heard that so let's talk a little bit about how your past not past but like your mental health diagnoses have affected your life and relationships and how that has carried since you were diagnosed so young how that has carried into your adult life um well i think along the mental health diagnosis is just part of the you know pieces of the puzzle of things that happen to you in your childhood that shape who you are right and Mm so i think you know being growing up biracial Growing up in St. Louis, which is a very racially, you know, segregated community, and Mm -hmm. then my family of origin issues and all of those different things, um, I think I really kind of, and then putting the diagnosis on top of that, I really felt like something was wrong with me. Mm. Um, And I grew up believing that I needed to fix a lot of things in order to be the way I was supposed to be. And I think that now I'm 43 years old and I'm finally getting to the point of realizing that I am who I was intended to be. Even though I'm flawed and even though I'm, there's lots of things that I would like to improve and better about myself, I've definitely struggled for a lot of my adult life with jobs and relationships and all of those aspects mainly because of the sense the internalized sense of brokenness that I had Mm -hmm. of defectiveness and that something had to change in me and around me in order for me to be able to overcome that and that's I feel like a very a limiting belief that we create for ourselves that you know, oh, this is what's wrong with me, so now I understand why I'm this way, but also now I'm chained by this idea that something is wrong with me that I have to fix in order to get beyond it. Mm-hmm. And there's not really a fix for being an emotional being. Yeah. You know, that's, that's not going to ever change, and you're hopefully always going to be able to feel your emotions and and experience things deeply and so in in that reality things are sometimes going to be painful and difficult and having coping mechanisms to deal with them and having the ability to have an outlet or a create space for yourself to to feel those things i think is a lifelong struggle that Mm -hmm. i'm still learning to do but i'm in a much better place today with who I was created to be and and who I'm trying to be. And I think I took a lot of undoing of the things of who I thought I was. And a lot of that comes from, uh, you know, early diagnoses and, and labels. I think we have so much comfort in labels. We want to know what's wrong with us so that we can figure out how to fix it. Mm-hmm. And so we, we want that label to tell us the way Mm -hmm. and sometimes the label is not right yeah (laughs) you know yeah i mean like lots of people are misdiagnosed or you know like the people that are diagnosing you are also flawed feeling beings that don't get it right a hundred percent of the time Mm -hmm. so like yes i I 100 percent believe in the value of mental health care and you know, the different modalities of that. But I also think that there is a huge just misconception in our society of mental illness Mm -hmm. that somehow there's a great TikTok I saw and it was this lady singing that do 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 that song. Dido. Basically, the gist of it is just saying, she's saying, if you're feeling overwhelmed by the pressures of life, if you're feeling unfulfilled in the environment you're in, if you are 
in a toxic environment that is having toxic results in your life. Mm -hmm. um, it says maybe that isn't mental illness and just a absolutely normal human response. Oh, I've seen this. Right? Yes. And yeah, it's yeah. like that a lot of times what we want to be categorized as mental illness so we can make sense of what's wrong with us, right? Because we feel like something's wrong. Mm -hmm. we, we need to be diagnosed with a problem in order to feel like there's a solution and i don't think that feeling grieving having deep awareness mm -hmm. difficult growth personal growth mm -hmm. i don't think any of those things are not natural human things i agree with that and i i feel like i can't remember which episode it was we were talking about who i was talking about with the who i was talking about this with but i there's a big difference i think between just not even necessarily having a bad day or experiencing something bad and f like true depression mm -hmm. like people have been diagnosed with depression you know diagnosis is it is what it is mm -hmm. if you go looking for it then cool mm -hmm. um but I feel like there is, for me and for a lot of people I've talked to, there's an emptiness that comes with depression rather than just feeling bad. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, and I feel like now nowadays we do have some confusion in. Absolutely, and I don't want to diminish yeah, yeah, anyone's yeah. personal experience yeah. with depression by saying that it's just a natural human response to difficulty. No, 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 no. Um, because it's, I mean it's absolutely you know an, an issue that's disruptive in your life but also i think a lot of times the way that we respond to things is also a normal response mm -hmm. to the things that happen to us as children and the models that we were shown mm -hmm. and the experiences we've had so while yes it might be abnormal or unhealthy or something you need to change or something that it also could just be the absolute natural result of your experiences. Mm -hmm. And and then, yes, you've got, you know, schizophrenia and things that, in, that are not necessarily, I don't want to say not normal, the result of normal human experience, because those things are too. But they but, are a, a more prominent chemical imbalance or, a, or a something truly... And I don't want to say that in a way that depression is not but but i understand what you're saying there yeah. are certain illnesses that that have to be treated because of the impact that it has on the individual's life and the mm -hmm. life of the people around them yes um and then there are certain things that it maybe is only killing us slowly inside mm -hmm. right but and whether that is true depression i think also for me you know grief and you know i've so in my adult life, since my son passed, I've been working with a therapist and I've been officially diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder, or what they call complex PTSD. So my experiences weren't necessarily one single traumatic event. It was many smaller traumatic events sustained over time and mm -hmm. a consistent, you know, the worst case scenario happening over and over again and so those long traumatic experiences are what they categorize as complex PTSD and so in having you know the diagnosis of PTSD and depression and anxiety and and dealing with grief a lot of people in the world of grief and who are going through loss immediately find their way into a mental health diagnosis mm -hmm. and I'm not going to say that my, you know, that's not valid, but I think that also like our society just doesn't, isn't really comfortable with death and grief. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. when death and the response to it is a very deep and natural grief, which is the normal response to such, you know, my, yes. my grief and struggle was a normal response to the things that I went through it wasn't a disorder it wasn't a, a malfunction it was, it was grief it was grief and then yeah. you can't you can't medicate that away i mean you can um and i did for some years but you you can't necessarily heal that it's just something you learn to 
to exist with. Mm-hmm. And and for a lot of people, depression and anxiety, I think, are the same. And, and this idea that there's a pill or something that can fix you and heal you and you're going to be the way you're meant to be, if that just changes, mm-hmm. it's just really a disservice to our humanity because we are who we are intended to be. Mm-hmm. The way that you're feeling, even if it feels terrible, is because you're capable of feeling it, you know, and you're, mm-hmm. and I, I think that we, we avoid difficult feelings that we're much more capable of, of enduring. And I think we're, we're stronger and more resilient than sometimes we even get a chance to know we are. I would agree with that. I would agree that we don't, in our world and how we behave there is um an immediate medication Mm. it's not okay well let's figure out how to deal to develop coping mechanisms to uh and i do think that medication works for people and i you know i praise those people who have you know have their medicine and it works for them um and for me when i went to get my diagnosis at 22, I was just looking for an answer. Right. I wasn't looking for a medicine. Mm-hmm. And just wanted to understand why you were the way you yeah, were. Why you I felt just, the way you felt. Exactly. I just wanted some, because I had done my own research. You know me, I'm <laughs> typing away. I'm looking everything up. And I, you know, I had done my own research. I had answered all these questions for myself and I just wanted a professional to tell me. And once my doctor said it, I was like, cool, great. And then she was like, and here's a prescription. And I'm like, Right. I don't, I think medication should not necessarily be the last step, but it shouldn't be, it certainly shouldn't be the first. Yes. And I feel like we live in a society now and it's like, oh yeah, I've really been struggling lately. I need to call the doctor and get on, get some medication. Mm -hmm. Now, I want to say though, like when we knew each other, Mm -hmm. I was in a place where I hadn't been on medication because I hadn't been... In, I didn't have insurance. Mm-hmm. I was in a absolutely, you know, I'd just come back from traveling, mm-hmm. saying I was never going to be back in St. Louis. Not only was I back in St. Louis, I'm living with my mother. I have mm-hmm. no car. I'm driving my mother's car or riding the Metrolink. Mm-hmm. I'm working a part-time job at a restaurant when I'd worked in restaurants since I was 14 and worked a lot of other jobs since then. So Mm -hmm. for me, it felt like treading water. You know, I was in a really dark place. I don't know if I would have gotten out of that hole without the help of medication. Mm -hmm. Because at some point you become so negative and focused on the problem that you really can't see anything else. Yeah. And I, so I don't want to dismiss medication as a tool, mm-hmm. like all the other valuable tools that you can gain. I, I did need it in that point in my life to stabilize, to get to a better place mm-hmm. because I was really lost. Um, do I, would I've not been able to get there somewhere else, somehow else, some other way, you know, I'm not saying that, but in that moment, also, these were the tools that I had already been used, accustomed to using. Mm-hmm. And so I needed the tools that I had relied on in the past to get where I needed to be. Yeah. Um, so I don't, I don't want to say that, you know, also, like, if you're taking medication, you're not fully healed or anything like that. Because no. I really believe whatever works for you works for you. And if it's not working for you, then it's up to you to do something differently. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, that's that's it like that's what it is like you have to figure out what is going to be the magic tool for you and i think that you no one else is going to fix you but you Mm -hmm. you might have a great psychologist a great psychiatrist great friends a great partner but at the end of the day it's all about the relationship between you and the person in your head Mm -hmm. and for me like I, i talk openly about you know my past and my suicide attempts and blah 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 and for me that that healing factor was art and I feel like I don't feel I know for a fact that if I was not able to create 
if I wasn't able to write music or write plays or, or act or direct or perform, if I was not able to do any of those things, I probably would need to be medicated. Mm-hmm. Something would have to shift mm-hmm. because that's my medication. Mm-hmm. I think medication needs to be broadened to, <laughs> to include right. all things that make you feel whole. <laughs> and I feel like that's a lot of what we're looking for as, as mentally ill people or you know whatever you want to call it is feeling whole. <coughs> And having tools. Yes. Coping tools. Mm-hmm. Co- tools and, and I don't know, a lot of stuff. Yeah, I just think that there's no one path. There's no, like, one thing that works. I've done talk therapy. I've done meditation. I've done yoga. I've done massage therapy. I've done lots and lots of self-help books and Mm -hmm. 12-step programs and self-evaluation programs and personal growth programs and at the end of the day whatever path you find that works for you the hard the scary thing is when you have this belief that there's only one way Mm -hmm. because there's never only one way yeah there's never only one answer to anything and the more tools that are available to people the more everyone will find what they need. Mm-hmm. And instead of looking at it as, a, like you said, oh, you're de- yes, you're clinically depressed, let me write you a prescription, here's a toolbox. And one of the tools in that toolbox is medication. Mm-hmm. But we're going to give you access to an entire toolbox. Yeah. And that's maybe something we could use. I and You know, I that is the most beautiful way to look at it. it we really need to present... At the point of diagnosis, here are all the things that we can do to help. And if medication is the thing that helps you, beautiful. But I've had, you know, we've, this is episode 12. I think it's been kind of an even balance of people who took medication and it didn't help or took me- medication and it did help. Mm-hmm. I, it's just like you said, and every, every one thing isn't going to work for every single person. Well, and in my experience with my son and spending, you know, nine years in the medical world and the world of sick children, you know, they only know what they know. Mm-hmm. And that's very, very little in the universe of all there is to be known. Mm-hmm. So... The reality is, is they don't really understand the brain, our hormones, our endocrine system, any of that well enough to fully understand why we do and feel the things that we do, mm-hmm. nor do they understand why the chemicals that they put in the medications make us feel better or don't. It's literally like, it looks like this will work. It doesn't make mice sick. Let's give it to humans and see how they feel. And it's like, oh, ma'am, I'm not a mouse. And then, like, 50 years later, we're like, so, turns out that thing that made everybody feel way better also does this. Yeah. And so, like, there's just a lot more to it than, you know, take a pill and feel better. Mm -hmm. And some things don't have cures. Yeah. And I think that we do ourselves a disservice by thinking that there's only one solution to that problem and also i think even prior to diagnosis and even prior to you know mental illness i think we could just do a lot better job as a society of talking about the natural normal state of human feeling and emotion Mm -hmm. that when something painful or hurtful or embarrassing happens to you it is normal to feel certain feelings in response to that. And it's normal to sometimes feel out of control of your feelings, you know, and that the being able to give more words and understanding to children to be able to process the difficult feelings, Mm -hmm. I think will result in less people feeling so challenged by life. Yeah. And then when things like mental illness or whatever, whatever happens throughout your life comes up, you have an understanding of, of how your emotional mental state works. Mm-hmm. You check in more with yourself. And what you have a sense of that it's not outside of you, mm-hmm. right? Um, what's something I say to people a lot when they're, you know, 
struggling with negative thought processes and stuff is you are the thinker of the thoughts you know and I think we we don't do a really good job of teaching children how to be aware and in control of their emotional processes Mm -hmm. and if we did better at that we'd have better adults yeah I agree fully wholeheartedly I don't don't think we equip ourselves and our kids enough with feel the thing right and death is a huge part of that so like in our society and you're this is a perfect example right so the the only way that we introduce people to death in our culture is through scary spooky Halloween Mm -hmm. like that is what we associate death with Mm -hmm. when for me, most of this has nothing... I love it, but it doesn't have anything to do with death, right? Yeah, same. Um, but for a lot of people, you know, think about when you're a child. Like, your understanding of death is the really uncomfortable family event at the funeral home when one of your grandparents that you didn't really know died mm-hmm. and you didn't really know what was happening, except for that all the adults were very sad and crying and probably fighting, and it was... A very stressful time in your family. Yeah, scary, traumatic. Right, and then horror movies and Halloween stuff. Yeah. And so we go into life as children with this very narrow understanding of what death is, and then we don't really equip people with an understanding of how grief is so prevalent in our society because also we don't do a good job of talking about grief and loss and talking about our dead. What's one thing I love about um, Hispanic culture and being in Mexico was um, Dia de los Muertes and the way that they culturally address death and loss in, in what I think is a like, much healthier, holistic way. Yeah, I have in recent years, you know, since we've known each other, you know, kind of connected more with the spiritual side of myself and with the ancestors and and all of that. And it's, I think we need to uh, address death kind of in the way that kind of like, you know, in Hispanic culture in New Orleans, they celebrate. It's a, we always call it a celebration of life, Mm -hmm. but it's so mournful. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, fortunate or unfortunate, however you want to call it. But when I was young, I had a string of deaths happen back to back. Like, genuinely, I think when I was like eight years old, it was like an aunt and then an uncle and then my great grandma. Like, it was boom, 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 boom. Like, I was not never, I was never not at a funeral that year. And I got to kind of, and granted, I was always more mature as a kid. I just had a, kind of a deeper understanding of things. This is not my first life. <laughs> um, and I got to not necessarily appreciate, but understand that death happens and kind of feel that grief. Uh, and grief is something that I don't think we really at all address in American society. You put them in the ground, you keep moving. They wouldn't want you to linger on it. Well, they would maybe want you to feel what you feel. Right. They would maybe want you to acknowledge that you are sad, that you are hurt, that you lost someone someone close to you, someone not close to you. Like, I've been to funerals for people who I ain't never even met. Right. And... There's a great quote that is that grief is just love mm. with no place to go. Mm. So, like, uh. you don't... Just, you know, I'm, I love my son, and I say this all the time. I, my parents love to talk about their children. They love mm-hmm. to put their pictures on their wall at work and, you know, brag about their kids. That doesn't change when your child dies. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm, as much as I love and the pride that I have for my son, that didn't go away when he died. Mm-hmm. And so this idea that I'm supposed to somehow at some point stop talking about him, stop sharing you? him like that that doesn't make sense is and it? It, there's some people that maybe can't they mm-hmm. don't they need to not mm-hmm. but for me like i i can't imagine getting to a point where it isn't still a part of who i am and and for me i'm lucky because i have lots of people like you in my life that i you know were really open and loving to letting me share about my son and share about my experiences and so 
you love Cole and know I his do, story. And I've never met him, and I and love that him. That is such so a gift deeply. to me, and I would never give up that gift. Mm-hmm. You know, like that is how he gets to live on through my love for him, mm-hmm. and so I would never give that up. And I don't, and and it makes a lot of people uncomfortable. You know, especially. Sometimes now I'll say like, oh, you know, my son passed away and they'll be like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. And I'll say, it was about seven years ago. And they'll be like, oh, okay. Like, oh, like, all it's right, been cool. enough time. You're good. You're just going to say it and we're going to jump on to the next topic. And I was you like, know, no, I, I can make you cry if you want to do that right now. But. Yeah. And, it, you know, I feel like even after someone passes, especially a child, you grow more love for them, I would think. You know, I've never experienced that. Obviously, I've never. I think part of it is just that, like, so when someone is old and they pass away, you can look back at their life and reflect on all that they've lived. But Mm -hmm. when someone's life is cut short, you spend all of the future years thinking of all of the things that they're not getting to do. Mm -hmm. So there's not, you know, my son would only be 22 years old. Like, he's... There's a whole life that he didn't get to live, and there are milestones, you know, high school graduation, college, going off to college. His friends are, you know, getting married and getting jobs, mm-hmm. and and so all of those things that he's not getting to do, that that stays. That, and and I'm not saying that it's, you know, every loss is different, and grief is different for everyone, and and child loss is different than you know spousal loss and parent loss, mm-hmm. but. You know, I, I think that there's just no right way to do grief and loss. Yeah. But I think that we just, there is a wrong way. <laughs> yeah. And um, I think one of that is is worrying about what other people need and think. And, you know, it's it's hard not to want to be okay for other people or mm-hmm. put on a brave face and because that's what other people need from you. Um, but for me, I, I think I really got started moving forward in my life when I finally, and I read a wonderful book, uh, one of the, the best book on grief, in my opinion, um, called It's It's Okay That You're Not Okay. Mm-hmm. And just really exploring the concept that the way that we feel is natural to our experience. And it's, it's okay. It's mm-hmm. not the end. It's not, it's only the end if you stop there. Yeah. Right? And so really allowing myself to be deeply grieving and deeply struggling with with the loss was maybe the only way how I got through it. And I um, haven't, you know, fortunate, I'm very fortunate, you know, not even knock on wood because we lose people at any point, you know, but I can't put myself in the place of a parent that has lost a child, but I've lost many people in my life. Uh, And the grief that I felt was momentary. But when I talk about them now, you know, when I talk about my great grandma, we, in my memory, of course, I was eight years old when she died, but I remember her up until then. I remember we used to call her Barney. I don't know why. I have no idea why. <laughs> I know I used to go over her house and her house creeped me out, probably because it's haunted. <laughs> and and I know that I was there when she took her last breath. And I have those key memories and I and I think back on those things and I feel sad, but I also feel joy because I got to know this person mm-hmm. while I was alive. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I got to experience them and though my time with her was cut short, she had a beautiful life. Mm-hmm. And I can only hope the same. Yeah. I, I think it's different, too, when it's an older person. With a child, it's... Or a, or a young adult, it's... Mm-hmm. It's like... A, like something's been stolen from mm-hmm. you. You know, like... Nobody has a child and thinks... Wonder if they're gonna grow up. Yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> That's not funny, but like. No, I mean, you just you you like, assume. You're like, yeah, I can't wait to see this kid you, be like, everything. You literally see postings like a a proud father with a newborn baby, and it's like, I can't wait to walk her down the aisle one day. 
one, that's making a lot of assumptions, that's a lot of right? Assumptions. You might not even be, your relationship might be horrible. I mean, she might not want to get married. Yeah. She might not want to walk down I love the how aisle. I went to the negative. Right? You're like, she might not want to get married. I'm like, fuck a dad. <laughs> that's my trauma speaking. Right. Well, I think that it's, I, I think, uh, we all have a different perspective on... I'm totally lost my train of thought. I'm sorry. I don't know why. Yeah, people have preconceived notions of what they think their kid's life is going to be and what they think life is going to be in general. Thanks for taking That's us where back you to were. the topic. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, and yeah, just a lot of assumptions. We make a lot of assumptions that things are guaranteed that they aren't. And the reality that they aren't mm-hmm. is very traumatic. Um, sometimes more traumatic than the, the loss itself, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, you know, I don't know. I just, I think that it is something that I would, would never wish upon my worst enemy. Um, I'm because of the childhood cancer community and, and the many people I've met over the years through that. I do know a lot of people who have lost their children far mm-hmm. too many and it, it, if it weren't for the people that I saw go through it before me, it may have been a lot harder to survive. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I'll be, you know, 100% open. There were many moments in the last seven years where I did not know if I would survive it. Mm-hmm. There are many moments that I didn't want to survive it. Um, and... There was a time when being okay didn't, like, it would, the thought of being okay was not something I was okay with, Mm -hmm. you know? So, a lot of things change over time, but I think that seeing the people that I've seen in all the different ways go through this, and and I'll mention, too, that I went to, and around the time that we, we met and were working together... I went to a retreat for mm-hmm. bereaved mothers, and that was a huge turning point for me in my grief and kind of getting my life back to a, a place of of moving forward and, and taking care of myself. And and a big part of what helped me through that was really, you know, grief can be very isolating, especially when it's something that not a lot of people experience. Mm-hmm. You can kind of tell yourself that nobody could possibly understand what I've gone through. and. Everyone who tries, they're not good enough because they've not been through this. Mm-hmm. And so then I'm in a, at a retreat in a room full of women and they've all lost their children. And some of them are adult children and some of them committed suicide and some of them died in car accidents and some of them had drug overdoses. But at the end of the day, we were all Moms. bereaved mothers, mm-hmm. you know, grieving life without our children. And some had been you know, 10 years. And I had been a few years at that time and, you know, some were even less. And it was really through talking to other people in that situation and seeing what grief looked like for all of these other people that was able to take me outside of myself and not see this as a completely solo road that I have to walk for the mm-hmm. rest of my life because nobody else understands. Yeah. Um, and I think for any type of mental illness or mental struggle, there's a huge benefit to community mm-hmm. and connecting with people so that you are, can somehow realize that you are not alone. There are far too many people on this planet and every person will be bereaved at some point. Every mm-hmm. one of us goes through loss. That's true. So there's just, and all the other things that we go through, there's other people going through it. Maybe not in the exact same way, but figuring out that you're not alone, I think is really critical to finding a way forward. And that's genuinely the whole point of this podcast. Is like, <laughs> I... I realizing I wasn't alone I, I when I was a kid and I was struggling and as I grew up in my mental illness and I started to de- develop my coping skills and started to speak more about it and started to be able to talk about you know the things that hurt me and my trauma without crying my biggest thing is they will listen somebody will listen 
somebody, anybody will listen. Even if you sit in front of a camera, you record a video and post it online. And you never know who your story will help. You never know. And that's, if anything, if I, anybody takes anything from my son's story, I always hope that it is that in his 14 short years, he touched so many lives, more than I could even know of, just through shining his light, mm-hmm. being himself, and and us sharing his story with other people and allowing my ourselves to be seen mm-hmm. and heard by other people. And so that it really doesn't matter who's on the other end, mm-hmm. you know? But if you put it out there with good intent, it will have good good works in the world and um i'm not a super religious person and i would say i'm more of a spiritual person but i'm not a big fan of organized religion i grew up in churches and i'm um not uneducated on on it but it's just not something that works for me and i was at uh this growth thing last week in florida and there was an optional kind of prayer service because the the guy that runs the whole thing it used to be a minister. Mm-hmm. Very deeply religious, you know, wants to share his relationship with Jesus with everyone. And But it was very moving in a lot of ways. And, and I'm an open-minded person, and I'm in a place today where I can experience those things mm-hmm. and take what I need and leave the rest. Yep. And um, this moment struck me because he they were talking about um, how God heals. And that's something I really struggle with because my kid was beloved and prayed for by tens of thousands of people around the world, and he's not here. So how does God heal? Mm-hmm. And in that moment, and I hear things in my head sometimes, and it's not because I'm schizophrenic, it's because I'm listening. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I've got guides. Um, and I heard in my head that day when I thought to myself, yeah, God heals. And I thought you have no idea how many people God used coal to heal. Mm -hmm. So you don't know. We don't get to know what our purpose is in entirety or how long we're going to be here or who we're going to get to to meet or what we're going to get to achieve. But our impact um, is bigger than us. And so I'm really proud of you for all that you are doing <laughs> um, and and all the ways you've grown since I've seen you and since we've spent time together and and the way that you are shining your light on the world because you're you're it man <laughs> this wasn't supposed to make me cry you said we was gonna cry we couldn't stop without crying <laughs> I love you so much. I love you too. Oh. Uh. Even got the glass <laughs> frosted over. Uh-uh. I, uh, I, you know, I, I talk about that all the time where you don't know, you don't know who your story is going to impact. You never know what message is is gonna reach who but it we, we say this a lot in theater you get the cast you were meant to get mm-hmm. whoever comes to those auditions and whoever you cast and whoever sticks even if you have people drop out and you have people leave and come back and whatever the cast that you end up with that performs that show us the cast you get the people that need to see this are gonna see it right the people that need to hear your story are gonna hear it and i am so touched and blessed to have you in my life and to have Cole in my life. And mm, I just got like a chill. <laughs> um I forgot what I was about to say. He's like, damn right I'm here. Mm-hmm, yeah, he's here. <laughs> he's here. He's been here for a while. I know. Um He loves you too. You know, I, one thing that I had this conversation with a good friend of mine a long time ago about relating to people and you don't have to have experienced something to relate to somebody, Mm -hmm. 
but you can't force this type of energy and relation. Mm-hmm. I you you can't you it's can't. There, it's not. It's either there or it's not. It's either. Uh, I'm trying to wind myself back to the point that I was. <laughs> At the end of the day, we can do as much as we can to support each other, to build each other up. And, 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 and help each other heal. And my God, if it doesn't happen, <laughs> every single time I have, every episode that I've done this podcast, every, every time I talk about my infinite sadness, every time I talk about my story, I feel this same energy that I feel when I just am in your presence of healing, of light, of knowledge and passion and love. I think that's the biggest overarching thing. It's just love. So I, I, what I'm hearing you say and what I think, what I believe to be true is like the things that are broken in us, Mm -hmm. the, the, the things that happen to us, our stories, Mm -hmm. that is our gift to give back to the world. Yes. And if you can openly show yourself and be seen and be heard and tell your story, connection is the inevitable mm-hmm. result. Mm-hmm. You find the people. You find your people. Right. You find your heart family. I wrote this line in my play. Um, it's the, the story is, you know, you're in the subconscious. You is the uh depression physical representation of depression me is the um representation of the person whose mind we're in and they're having this moment of you know me being like i i want you to go but i don't want you to go you're the most interesting thing about me and when i wrote that line i broke down in tears because i I was like, there is no way that the most interesting thing about me is my mental illness, Mm -hmm. really. But it is, but not for the reasons that I think, not for the negative reasons, because I get to share these wounds with so many people. And your wounds and the things you've learned in trying to heal them and the the experiences that cultivated them Mm -hmm. are are what the world needs from you. Yes. Yep. Exactly that. Exactly that. And <laughs> who? Um, I only have a couple more questions and yeah. then um, leave us with a piece of advice for people who are not grieving or people who are not dealing with any kind of mental struggle. How can they be in our corner and how can they um, be there for us? Um, wow, that's a good question. So that's my favorite question. For I'm gonna answer the grieving one first because I'm better at that answer. Mm-hmm. Um, if you know someone who is grieving, don't think that you're not going to that you're going to upset them by bringing up their loss or bringing up their loved one. Um, the deepest pain that happens after loss is the silence and the fact that what was your whole life is something that no one wants to speak about. So like the biggest gift that you can give to someone who is grieving is to talk to them about the person that they lost and remember that person with them. Um, And they might tear up or get emotional, but the gift that you are giving them by doing that is much greater than any hurt that you might've caused by bringing it up. Mm -hmm. But not in a weird way, because also there, if you see someone whose kid died <laughs> that you have not seen in 10 years and you see them in a grocery store, it is not a good time to go up and be like, I am so sorry about your son. That's weird, because also if I'm in a grocery store, I'm already struggling. <laughs> Listen, I'm just trying to get my chicken and a biscuit crackers and my chicken salad. Leave me alone. Right. Talk about people's loved ones, but also time don't talk about people's loved ones in weird places when you don't know them that well. <laughs> yeah, time and place. There's a time and place for everything. And uh, uh, supporting your friends with mental illness, I think, is just being really... Um, I know that for me, in the years that I've struggled, the greatest gift that 
my best friend has given me is that in all of the times that I've said no, she's never stopped asking. Mm. She's never stopped inviting me and including me. And a lot of people did because they got tired of me saying no. Mm-hmm. And it took me seven years to be able to start saying yes again. So I'm really grateful for the people who didn't stop asking. I'm glad you said yes to being here today. <laughs> I'm so glad. Um, and then very last question. Like I said in the intro here on Mental Health Chat Monday, we have a motto. It is turning mental illness into mental wellness. What does mental wellness look like to you? Um, mental wellness looks like a full toolbox. Mm-hmm. Um, a sense of comfort in knowing that you, who you are, is okay. And people to support you. And and knowing you're not alone. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Laura... Thank you so much for coming. Thank you. I have missed you so much. Um, is there anything you want to plug? Are there any organizations you want to plug or anything um, you are involved in that you want to... Okay, okay. Um, well, so I will be going to Washington, D.C. for the first time in April to do some advocacy on Capitol Hill. Um, childhood cancer awareness is important to me because though there are hundreds of different types of cancers that affect mostly only children there is a fraction of the federal funding that goes towards researching cancer is shared by all of those cancers so there's a lot more that we could be done and we could be doing and more importantly we don't spend a lot of time asking why kids get cancer to begin with Mm -hmm. so um i just anytime you have an opportunity to support and if you find um the desire to make a donation in memory of my son or in honor of his his fight, um, I would love to suggest the Ronald McDonald House of St. Louis is a great place, whether monetary donation, um, household supplies, volunteer time. Uh, we stayed at Ronald McDonald Houses in order to travel for his care, and that's a great organization that we would not have been able to do it without, um, along with um, Cure Search, which is a research organization for childhood cancer. And then um, I've most recently been working with a therapist at Walter's Walk, mm-hmm. which is a local um, non-for-profit organization. They provide mental health care services to the community on a sliding scale fee. Um, it has made therapy a resource available, more available to me, and s- probably saved my life in a lot of ways and uh they do great things so if you or someone you know needs a therapy intervention or help and is having trouble either because their ability to pay their lack of insurance uh walter's walk is in hazelwood missouri and they're a great organization that does a lot of good work in our community Wonderful. I will link all of those things down below for you all. I no, that's we said a lot and we link it below so they can find the stuff. Um, I will link everything down below for you all. Thank you again so much, Laura, for being here. Thank We're you. gonna sit into your chat for a bit. Um, as soon as I stop sweating. Yes, I will turn there on. Um, and thank you all so much for tuning in to twelve episodes of Mental Health Chat Monday. Holy cow! I would say that I can't believe it, but I'm a Capricorn and I'm gonna do everything I can. <laughs> um, uh, we will be taking a brief break just two weeks just a couple weeks so I can kind of reset and get things going again and I will see you in two weeks on whatever day that is that is two weeks from when this episode comes out um, for season two of Mental Health Chat Monday uh, you know where to find me I'm DJ Rayonic on everything like, comment, subscribe you know all the good stuff and I'll talk to y'all later bye